Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Sunday School Hour here at Faith Baptist Church. Make sure my microphone's on. I got I got low. Nice. As the kids are being dismissed to their Sunday School class, we are continuing our series on why we believe what we believe about the church. Um, last couple of lessons, we talked about why we believe what we believe about the church and how it got started. And that's kind of the way we're going with this is teaching about the origins of the church and uh, how the Lord actually started the church. Jesus was the first pastor of the first church, which we talked about last week, how uh, some of the first members of the first church began following him. And uh, that sort of a thing. And so our next um, point, the one we're talking about this morning, is uh, Jesus, specifically his disciples by the authority of Jesus, are baptizing. So we're talking about baptism this morning. And this is a big one as far as church doctrine goes. And we're going to hit the highlights. We're going to hit the big points about uh, you know, what about sprinkling? What about pouring? Uh, what about what the Church of Christ believes and that sort of thing? We're going to cover all of those big things. But we're also going to talk about what baptism is, why it's important, what it does for you as a believer on an individual basis, and also what it does for the church as a whole. And so we're going to start um, in John chapter 3. Thank you. getting in my way. John chapter 3 this morning. We're going to start in verse 22. It says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. Uh, verse 23 says, John also was baptizing uh, in Inan near to uh, Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. And then in chapter 4 of the same book, uh, in verse 1, it says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So we see now the church, and this is the mark of the moment when the church is officially established. Jesus has become pastor. They're developing followers of the first church, and the, the sign of baptism is a sign that the first church is now officially established. And that is because baptism, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, uh, sort of associates a person with a church. And so we see people being associated with the first church. But baptism is a church ordinance. 
Um, as revealed in numerous sources of later revelation, and the church has two ordinances. So some people will tell you that there's three, but there are two. Anybody tell me what they are? Is it baptism and uh, the uh, Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good. I should hope my church officers would know the two ordinances of this of the oh, church. Very good. Very good. <laughs> right. Well, in, in our case, an ordinance is different than like a law. For a church, an ordinance is like a, a almost like a ritual, a participation of sorts. I was so in, thinking law too. Right. It's not a law. It's uh it's it's a little bit different than the kind of ordinance you have in like government. So these ordinances, and there are the two of them now. Some people will tell you there's a third one. Does anybody know the third one that, that some people claim is a third ordinance for the church? No? No, it's not fasting. It's not going to be, when I go ahead and tell you guys, it's not going to be one that's going to make a whole lot of sense to you. Oh. Yeah. Dressing up. No. <laughs> So that would be one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was saying. yeah. It was something of a ceremony, isn't it? Something mm -hmm. ceremonial. Yeah. Okay. Something they consider to be ceremonial, but Sunday they dinner. take further than what the Bible does. Sunday dinner. Not Sunday dinner. <laughs> That's very yeah. Don't don't get me wrong, Josh. That is that is one of the the Baptist distinctives. I was Absolutely. <laughs> Some of some of those teachers would come to class, and they're kidding, of course, but they would say, uh, we, we stutter a little bit with our, we start with three Bs, Bubba -bu Baptist. We have black coffee, biscuits, and then we go into the, the real ordinances. Yeah. But uh, it's foot washing. Uh, can anybody remember a story in the Bible? Yeah. It's a story where he takes the towel, and he washes his disciples' feet, and some people have taken that. A little further to say that that is an official ordinance of the church that the Bible wants us to do. And it's not. The, the purpose of that story was to teach his disciples that the greatest leader is the greatest servant. That was the point of that story. That Jesus being Christ, being God, King of kings and Lord of lords, is there holding a towel, washing his disciples' feet. When uh, you graduate from Crown College, they have this towel, and it's uh, embroidered with the... Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, but it's embroidered with uh, the verses involving that story. And the purpose of it is to teach you that as you graduate from Bible college and you go on to be a pastor or a missionary or whatever sort of church authority you're going to be, that it teaches you that you're not some authority lording over a group of people. You're their servant. You're there to help them. You're there to serve them. And that's sort of the idea of that whole story. So it's not a church ordinance. Uh, the two church ordinances are the ones we mentioned, the Lord's Supper, and this morning we're talking about baptism. So, baptism is, a, is an extremely important one because there is, like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of confusion about what to believe regarding baptism. Uh, J. Frank Norris is quoted as saying, Baptism is the only thing a believer can do as perfectly as Jesus. That is baptism. Um, he also said, take care of the two ordinances and you take care of the gospel. 
because baptism is a picture of the gospel, like the Lord's Supper. Jesus taught that very expressly, that this is the bread, which is, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which was shed for you. This do in remembrance of me. So first of all, in that Christ only gave churches two ordinances, can we not be good stewards of them? Right? Well, there's only two. We can get these right. If properly observed, they will, uh, they will help people better understand the gospel. Some people, and you've got different kind of learners, right? Some people are auditory learners. They listen and they learn, and it's that simple for them. Not everybody's like that, though. You know, some people are visual learners. They've got to see something to understand it. I'm a visual learner. I can hear it, and I have no idea what you're talking about, especially when it comes to decorations and stuff. All those years doing vacation Bible school at Gospel Light, me and Amanda and Kyle would be sitting there, and we'd be doing these plans and coming up with all the crazy things we wanted to do that year, and I had no clue what they were talking about. No idea, but I was like, you know what? I've seen that you guys do good work. I'm just going to trust that you're going to do good work. More power to you. When I started seeing them do it, and it started to come together, that's when I would be like, oh, that's what you meant. Wow, that's really cool. They'd be like, yeah, you knew this like two months ago. And I was like, I know, but I didn't actually. So I'm a visual learner. I, I'm not just an auditory learner. There are some people that have to be really hands-on. You know, they have to be holding something in their hand. They have to be doing it in order to learn about it. You know, so there are different kinds of learners out there and having and, and Jesus knew this and he knew the different kind of learners. That's why when he would go to teach a biblical truth, he would do it through a story. Right? That's why that's the way I try to preach is I try to throw some sort of a story in there at some point because that's the way we all are. We love a good story. That's what catches our attention. That's why Hollywood is so successful. Because they've learned how to tell a story in such a way that keeps your attention to the point where you go out and pay $10, $20 for a movie ticket. And as Jesus would teach, he would tell a story. He'd grab a piece of corn. He'd tell a story about a man who owned a piece of land. He'd tell a story about a king. He'd tell a story that would catch our attention. And when trying to get people to understand the gospel, right, it was these two ordinances. Because understanding salvation goes further than just the moment you receive salvation, right? You get saved, and in that moment you get saved, you have a basic understanding of the gospel, right? You, you have an understanding that follows, these aren't the gospel tracks, that follow those steps that we have on the back of our gospel tracks. It's okay. That's not one either. They're on the other side, closer to the door, but it's fine. I don't need one. Um... We understand we're sinners in need of a Savior, that Jesus died to pay our sin debt because the price of sin is hell, and that if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, then we can uh, know for sure that we're on our way to heaven. We have a basic understanding of the gospel at the moment of salvation. But what Jesus wants us to do after we get saved is he wants us to dive further and further into our understanding of salvation. Right? And the way he wanted us to learn about it and understand it was the pictures that he had set up. The Lord's Supper, the body, learning about specifically what the body does for you. And the Lord's Supper teaches us about that, what his broken body does for us. And about the blood and how vital the blood is to salvation as well. Uh, years and years and years ago, 
at this point. Uh, there was a group of people that were trying to eliminate uh, the concept of the blood of Jesus from the gospel because they thought it was a very, excuse me, palatable for people. Uh, they thought that people would receive the gospel better if you didn't make it so bloody. So they removed that aspect of it in an endeavor to make it more acceptable to people. Uh, that is where, have you ever heard preachers talking about, you know, you can't have salvation without the blood. And you're like, yeah, I'm behind that 100. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, I don't know why we even need to say that, but sure. Yeah, sounds like the blood of Jesus. Yeah, that's why. I've noticed that there are like a lot of preachers are still having an argument that only exists like in 1965. Right. You ever met one of those preachers that have a hard time with facial hair? Right. From back then, hippies have facial hair. That's the problem with the facial hair. Right. They also had wire rim glasses. That's not why I wear these plastic things. I have kids and they break my glasses all the time. So when they do this, I can just stick them back together. Goodness new. Good. But we have enough to deal with in 2022 without adding arguments that nobody's talking about anymore. Right? So there's no need to go into all of that. Basically, baptism is a picture of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus didn't do the baptizing. You remember in our story we read a second ago? It said his disciples baptized, but Jesus never baptized. Why is that? That is because Jesus, in the picture, cannot also be the baptizer. He cannot also be the element. He is the picture of the one being baptized. So if Jesus is baptizing, it ruins the picture. That's what Moses got in so much trouble for. Remember, pictures are very important to God. If you ruin the picture, you're obscuring people's view of salvation. Right? And that was what Moses got in trouble for because there was the rock, right? And he said, strike the rock and water will come gushing out of it. And he did. He struck the rock and the water came gushing out of it. And the people started complaining again that God wasn't taking care of them and yada, yada, yada. So it comes to God again. God says, this time just speak to the rock and water will come gushing out of it. And Moses, being mad and upset, didn't really listen to God and comes over and strikes the rock again like he did last time. And water come gushing out of it. But that's what Moses got in trouble for. He was forbidden from entering into the promised land over that. And you might think, what is the big deal? Like really that much punishment over striking a rock instead of talking to it? The, pick, the big deal is that was one of the only sources to salvation Israel had. That was one of the only pictures that they had. They had the Passover. They had a few other ordinances. They weren't getting it. So Jesus, was, so God was going to set up this miracle of the rock. It only got struck once. Then all you have to do is speak to it. That's a picture of Jesus, right? He was, struck, he was stricken once for our sins, and that was it. And now in order to obtain salvation, which is pictured by the water that they so desperately needed, all you have to do is speak to him, Right? That was the picture, and it got ruined by Moses. That's why he got so upset. So pictures are a big deal to God, very big deal. So that's why Jesus would never baptize himself. He is the one being baptized. He's a picture of that. So somebody else needs to be the one putting him under the water, bringing him back up as a picture of the Heavenly Father, like making him the sacrifice for sin. And then he comes back up, resurrecting uh, in the newness of life and so forth. The water of baptism. Can anybody guess what the water represents? Sin. It's not sin. 
Holy Spirit? It's not the Holy Spirit. Death is grave? No. What are the ghosts out of? Sorry. Water? No. That's holy water's close though. Sin is what the, the Church of Christ people believe. It's God's wrath. So holy was really close because God's like right there on it. But it's God's wrath, like towards sin. In the book of, I believe it's James. Uh, that is where, let's, let's turn to James real quick. That is where the Catholic Church goes for baptism. And they will, not the Catholic Church, the Church of Christ. That's where Church of Christ goes for baptism. And this is their reference for how baptism uh, saves, which is what they believe. They believe before you can be saved, you have to be baptized. And if you don't get baptized, you can't go to heaven. Um, gosh, uh, chapter three is popping into my head. But I don't think that's right. It should be talking about the flood. Does anybody have their Bible app open? I do. Can you search for the phrase uh, baptism, baptism doth save? Doth baptism baptism now saves you, not the Is that King James you're using there? Where is that at? Bible Hub. No, I mean like what book of the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you're curious. Uh, that's not James. That's not King James? It didn't sound like King James. What was the phrase, baptism? Even, I, I'm getting the words mixed up maybe. Even, bapti even baptism doth I'm, also now save us, yes. not the putting away. Yeah. The, where, uh, where is that at? That is in 1 Peter 3.20. I was so wrong. I wasn't so wrong. I was one book off. So if you're in James, go to 1 Peter. What was it? 1 Peter 3.21. I was right, right about chapter 3 also. <laughs> I was just in the wrong book. Uh, 1 Peter 3, we're going to start uh, in verse 18. It says, For Christ also hath once suffered for our sins, uh, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Notice the capital S, Spirit, there is referring to the Holy Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison which sometimes were disobedient, uh, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So here we're coming to the part about the flood. Uh, the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. God patiently waiting, giving every possible person their chance for repentance. Uh, while the dark was a, or well, I'm sorry, while the ark was a uh, preparing wherein few that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure wherein too, notice the phrase, the like figure of Noah's flood 
whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now that is where the Church of Christ people will say, see it says right there in the Bible, baptism doth save us. How can you say it doesn't? Because of the phrase just before it and the phrase afterwards we're going to read in a second, a lot of people's problem with incorrect doctrine is they stop reading too soon. That is a problem every time. And my answer to false doctrine is keep reading. But notice ahead it said the like figure. We're talking about the flood. Now, let me remind you folks, nobody got saved from God's wrath by the water. The, ar the water didn't do the saving. It was the ark that did the saving. What did the water do? It killed. Now, why did God send the water? Yeah, but why? Because he was mad about the sin of the world. The, the, the flood waters represent God's wrath. It was the flood waters of God's wrath towards sin that covered the whole earth. Right? So we're comparing that to baptism. Now, what the Church of Christ will tell you is that when you go under the water and come back up, your sin has washed off of you. Now, your sin got washed off. I have a few questions. Number one, what happens to the sins that you, what happens with the sins that you commit after you get out of the baptism? You need to keep getting baptized every time you commit a sin? How does that work? Is it wash off sins you haven't committed yet? And then another one they say is, why does your baptismal have a drain on it? And they'll say, that's because there's sin in the water. You've got to drain all that sin out. Y'all, that is the, if I need to tell you how stupid that is, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Sin is a spiritual concept. Water is a physical thing. Right, like what happens to the pastor standing in the water while the sin's being washed off of the person? Is he now taking all of their sin? Is he like a sin eater now? What is going on? <laughs> well, you gotta wear the waiters. The waiters, there's like a special sin-blocking right, waiters. Sin right, rubber, <laughs> sin can't get in if you're wearing all rubber. It's like Superman, so like, so like, so long as you're going out wearing a rubber, full rubber suit, you can do whatever you want to because the sin can't seep in. Yeah. What is the logic there, you know? You ask them about the, the man on the cross. We talk about that man that was on the cross with Jesus. You know, and you say, how did, how did he go to heaven, Jesus? And he said, I, I was reading this week, and I'm going to get a little distracted by this because it so irritated me. I found, a, like I was on TikTok, and I found this uh, Christian TikTok page that I really liked, I really enjoyed. It was funny stuff. You might have seen I shared a story. Uh, earlier this week on Facebook, where it was like it was showing this bridge that was going back and forth really hard. And uh, then it, it cut to this guy who's pretending to be the youth pastor on the church bus. He's going, listen, I've already paid out of my own pocket the money for the trampoline park. When we get across this bridge, nobody tell your parents. It's really funny. He, he does a better job delivering it than me. But it was very funny. Uh, but I'm going through his things, and evidently he's one that believes baptism saves. And in the comments, somebody commented to him and said, what about the thief on the cross? His response to that was, are you that thief on the cross? To which I'm like, I don't know what that has to do with the price of apples in China. I don't, what, what are we, what happened? What? And uh, they were like, well, no, but I might as well be which I thought was a fair comment, except for the fact that you're, you're 
sort of going down the rabbit trail he wants you to go down and has nothing to do with anything. And he was like, we don't know what happened to that guy. We don't know. And I'm like, uh, may I take you to this verse right here where the Lord, where the last things Jesus ever said was they just stopped reading too soon. That's the problem. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Did you think he was going on like a tour? Jesus was like, all right, here's all the things you won't get to enjoy. Good luck in hell. All right. Come on, guy. This day, they have no answer for that. This day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. There's no other thing that could be other than heaven. If he wasn't going to heaven, there's only other one other option. And I don't think Jesus would have called that paradise. <laughs> We're going to have to have a conversation after this. That was inappropriate. Oh, Josh. Okay. But the, the water in the baptismal, it's not washing away sins, right? It's a representation of God's wrath. And Jesus took all of that. There's actually a psalm. Uh, you remember when Jesus, check my time here. Yeah, I'm doing good. You remember when Jesus um, was on the cross and one of the last things he said, because I had a whole sermon on some of the last phrases Jesus ever said on the cross. One of those is the Hebrew phrase, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which the Bible tells us interprets to, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, a lot of people will just take that to mean, oh, that's where they got severed, God the Father from God the Son on the cross. Why say it in Hebrew? Because the common tongue of the day was Koine Greek. They were speaking common Greek. Right? Because Rome had taken over the world. That was what everybody spoke. So why say it in Hebrew? Because he's not talking about only what he's going through in that moment. He's quoting David. There is a psalm which starts, written by David, which is meant to be, he's, Jesus is also often referred to as the son of David. He was of the lineage of David. He's called the son of David because David was the, the last natural inheritor of God's approval over a king on the throne. Right? He picked Saul. Saul was rejected, and then he picked David. And that was the last one he picked. From then on, it was bloodlines. So Jesus will be the next one he picks, even though he's also in the bloodline of David. And so he's quoting David his sort of forefather, his inheritor, and uh, is quoting a, a Bible, a, a psalm, which starts off with the words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it goes on to talk about all the different ways that David is hurting in a metaphorical sense. But each and every one of those things that David quotes is a, a physical pain that Jesus endures on the cross. And in this writing of David, you can read where uh, he sort of talks about, in a sort of uh, illustrative way, how he's drowning. He pictures himself drowning in the floodwaters of God's wrath. Right? So that is what baptism represents, that Jesus is drowning in the floodwaters of God's wrath for us. 
He pays the price for those sins, and he's resurrected. As we come back up out of the water, it's a picture of him being resurrected after paying in full that price, taking the full weight of those floodwaters in a way that nobody else ever could. So he's taking that in full, then he's resurrected, and that is what baptism pictures, is Jesus taking all of God's wrath for our sins and defeating it and resurrecting through it so that we might have forgiveness. That is what baptism physically represents. Also, another reason, uh, because we've talked about the Church of Christ thing, I also want to touch on uh, the, the, the matter of sprinkling or pouring some, some churches do. Uh, like the Catholic Church, they'll, they'll have their baby come in, and they'll sort of christen the baby, and they'll, they'll take the holy water, and they'll you know, sort of baptize the baby. They're not completely submerging a baby in water. They're sprinkling water on the baby. You ever seen the Pope go to address a crowd, and he takes that thing that looks like a honey dipper, and he sort of flicks water on the crowd? That's supposed to be holy water, and that's a form of baptism that he's doing. Right? That's what holy water is supposed to be. It's like baptismal waters. Uh, the problem with that, uh, we're going to see in Acts chapter 8. And I do have that one written down, so that is the correct one. I just got distracted earlier. I, I went to a verse I didn't have written down because I didn't plan on going there this morning. And then uh, it caught me off guard. I was right on every part of it except for the actual book, though, which I feel like is an important part. So, you know. But in Acts chapter 8, uh, how many have heard the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? A few of us. Okay. The rest of us are in for a treat this morning. Uh, we're going to start in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. It says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Cadence, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, we're going to stop there for a second just so I can... Uh, help you understand what we just said, right? This is um, one with authority under the queen of Ethiopia. So a very well-off, very wealthy person, okay? He's just come through the desert. Now, if you're an extremely wealthy person going through the desert on a long journey, like he's making, what are you going to have with you in abundance? Water. Okay, so remember that. Verse 28 says, Was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. That's the book of Isaiah. He's in his chariot, an Ethiopian eunuch under the queen of Ethiopia, reading the book of Isaiah. Folks, that's amazing to me for many reasons. Number one, he wasn't a Jew. The fact that he even knew about Isaiah's writings was amazing. Uh, number two, the fact that he was interested enough in Isaiah to actually read it. I have read my Bible through many, many times, and I can't sometimes get all the way through the book of Isaiah. You know, sometimes you get you get bogged down in the weeds a little bit, and you have to be like, okay, I'm going to set that down. 
I'm going to let my brain sort of re-solidify. This is just a whole lot. And the fact that he had enough interest to get through the book of Isaiah is amazing. So he's reading Isaiah. Uh, then the Spirit, notice capital S, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. You ever have the Holy Spirit tell you you need to do something in a moment that you really don't want to do? Doesn't that feel like you two parts of you are punching yourself inside your brain somewhere? I hate that so much because very early on, I have a, I, and most people might not know this about me, I have on occasion a little social anxiety. Most of the time I'm fine. It doesn't bother me. I love people. I love talking to people. But every once in a while, you know, you, you've had rude people in your life and you're afraid if I talk to a stranger, they're going to be rude to me and ruin my day. You know, for somebody with social anxiety, it, it, it's a little bit crippling. You know, so there'll be times where the Holy Spirit will say to me, why don't you try to hand that person a track? And the other part of my brain will be like, yeah, but I don't want to. Is the problem. See, uh, didn't take that into account, did you? And uh, I'll, I'll go to, and people are always very nice about it. You go hand somebody a track. If you're nice to them about it, usually they're nice to you. Even if they don't believe in it or agree with you, most of the time they'll just take it just to get you out of their face. Right. Most people are very nice about it. You may on occasion find somebody who has had a really terrible experience at a church somewhere and is taking it out on you. Right. But for the most part, people are usually very polite about it. This is where Philip finds himself in our story this morning. The Holy Spirit says, hey, you know, that really important, really wealthy person cutting out of the desert right now. Yeah, go talk to him. OK. So it says Philip ran thither in verse 30 to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. So apparently he's one that likes to read out loud. Uh, hopefully he's one of those that kind of whisper talks while he reads because those people are annoying. You know, they're sitting there reading their book out loud and they're like, Elrond went to the third ring and threw it into the, and you're like, guy, guy, can you read that to yourself? I don't know. Maybe you're one of those people, but you're annoying if you are. But it was good that he was reading it out loud because it gave Philip an open window here. Uh, he heard him reading and said, understandest what thou readest? Is that the book you're reading? Do you understand what that means that you're reading? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? Biblical reason for Bible teachers. Right there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna park it right there for a second because there are so many people. I used to work at uh, uh, Mr. Jim's Pizza, and it was my job to deliver the pizzas. And all of us delivery guys would, in between jobs, when we weren't like building pizza boxes or something, we'd be uh, just talking, or even while you're working, you're talking. And uh, I had the opportunity to work with another wonderful Christian man, fantastic person, uh, but he didn't really believe in going to church. He didn't think that was necessary. And we talked about that a lot, and we're always respectful toward one another, and that's one of the most important things about it. You can have the conversation, but don't act morally superior. Don't act better than anybody else. That's not how Jesus did it. That's how the Pharisees did it. It's very important. So we would have this conversation, and he would say, what do you need a Bible teacher for? You don't need anybody to teach you about the Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you everything you need. He started lifting off the fruits of the Spirit. And he was like, the Holy Spirit will give you everything you need. 
And that's true. The Holy Spirit will give you the fruits of the Spirit and will teach you about the Bible in your own personal study. However, there are some things you can't get without a Bible teacher. And that's proven to us here in Acts chapter 8. Philip is commanded to go to this Ethiopian eunuch in order to teach him something about the Bible he can't just discover by himself. The man even says himself, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Uh, the place of the scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's who's being talked about there. So he's get, literally giving him the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 36 says, and as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. So it's a body of natural body of water somewhere. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized. So we see many things here. First of all, if all was needed was water enough to sprinkle, they had that. There's no way he traveled across the desert with all that wealth and didn't bring enough water. He had water. He could have sprinkled it. That's what it was. He did not. That's not enough proof for you. We're going to have more in a second. But also it's important to note here that anytime the reason some people think baptism is necessary to save is because it is meant to be done immediately. Now, we here, we don't have the facilities for that. But if we had a baptismal, you better believe there's going to come a day when this church has a building and we have a baptismal in the building. It's going to be ready with fresh water every single morning. Because when somebody gets saved, we're going to get trying our best to get them baptized that day. We're not going to wait around for a family gathering. That's not biblical. Now, if they want to wait, that's fine. That's their decision. They're the ones that are needing to get baptized. But it'll be my encouragement. You get saved, you get baptized. It's like that. It's the way it's supposed to be. Salvation and baptism, they go hand in hand. It associates you with Jesus. It's a public thing. You're coming out and saying to the world by being baptized, I am a Christian and I'm not ashamed of it. And I am associating myself with this man named Jesus. That is what baptism does. Now, also, when you get baptized, you're also associating yourself with that church that's baptizing you. Right, Because different churches baptize in different ways and you are adhering to their doctrine. In whatever way they baptize. That is why when you go to become, somebody becomes a member of Faith Baptist Church, I have two questions that I ask them. These are the only two questions I will ever ask somebody who's going to become a member of this church. Are you saved? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? That is a requirement for church membership according to the Bible. The second one has, have you been baptized by immersion? 
been completely submerged under the water and come back up. If you've done that, then you can be a member of this church. If you haven't done that, we can take care of that. We can get you taken care of, right? Those will be the only two questions. And, and there's some stupid nonsense out here about people talking about, well, can a gay person be a church member? Of course a gay person can be a church member. Where are you getting that from? The Bible says being gay is a sin. Yeah, it does say being gay is a sin. It also says lying is a sin. We ask people if they lie before they become a church member. No, we don't do that. Do you ask people if gluttony, they have too much to eat? Boy, I'd have never been a church member if I waited for that. <laughs> Brother, let me tell you, I'd still be outside of the church if I was waiting for that. It, it, Baptists wouldn't, it, we'd have ceased to exist a long time ago, let me tell you. Our potlucks, whoo, no prayer. That is not one of the church requirements. Now, if one of those people feel comfortable enough to come to church here to become a member, I'd think that was fantastic. We stand where we stand on the subject. That's not going to change. But I don't want anybody to feel like we hate them or that God hates them because God loves everybody. But baptism is one of those requirements. Salvation and baptism, they go hand in hand. Right? They are two separate things, but they do go hand in hand. Uh, one last thing really quick before we wrap up. Um, let's take a look at – whoops, I lost my place. Hang on. I need more Bible markers in my Bible. You've got that one ribbon, you know? I need like 13. <laughs> I need more Bible ribbons than I do books of the Bible. I think it's John chapter 1. I might be getting the wrong book. Well, let's take a look at John chapter 1. Yes, the, the Gospel of John. Looking for John's baptism. Am I missing it? I think I am. Maybe I'm in the wrong book. Um, let's go to what uh, would it be? Well, Matt? 26 says John answered them saying, I baptized with water. No, it's not. There's a specific word that I thought was in this portion, but I lost my I, my bookmarker left. So I have to well, refind it straightway. Might be in Matthew. But I, I flinched to go to Matthew because I know Josh was going to have something to say about it. <laughs> Is it? Way the spirit tear him and he fell? No. Straight when you say there cometh a shower. No. What were you saying, Mom? Uh, John 13, 32. No, that's not going to be it. What? It's going to be early on in one of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew three sixteen. That might be it. And Jesus... Yeah, that's what it was. John 3, you said 13? Matthew 3.16. I'm sorry, Matthew 3.16. Yeah, uh, let's start, because I'm looking at it right now. Um, yeah, let's start in verse 13. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. 
So Jesus being baptized, you know this one is going to be the model for everybody else. That is why he would be baptized but wouldn't do the baptizing. It's because he is the one being baptized. He's the picture, right? So that is why that is. Uh, verse 14 says, John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. That's the natural, you would think, why should I be baptizing Jesus? It should be the other way around. He didn't realize that would ruin the picture. Uh, verse 15, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, then he suffered him. If baptism saves, why is Jesus getting baptized? Right, so let's go plug that into the Church of Christ thing again. Uh, and then verse 16 says, When Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. That is not a picture of sprinkling there, folks. That is not a pouring. He came up out of the water. He was completely submerged in water and came up out of the water. I'm not the only one that thinks that. When they were writing the King James Bible in 1611, they changed his name from just John. They added the phrase John the Baptist to him. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, capital B Baptist, because there's a huge debate going on with an underground church in those days about baptism, where this underground church was preaching against the Church of Christ, not the Church of Christ, the Catholic Church. I'll get it right here in a minute. Against the Catholic Church, saying that their sprinklings and their pourings were unbiblical, and it wasn't true baptism given us by the Lord. And uh, there was a huge argument about that going on during the day. And then when, uh, when they were translating the Bible, they found this phrase, came up straightway out of the water, and saw that these Anabaptists, these anti-baptizers, were right. Because that is how John was baptizing Jesus, was completely submerged in the water and coming back up. And so they called, so so they went from calling them Anabaptists, anti-baptizers, to just Baptists. And that's why they call him John the Baptist here in the Bible, is because Baptist doctrine was discovered in the Bible in a day where nobody believed it. Right? So, completely submerged. It's in the Bible. Uh, you can maybe say in, in Acts 8, that's stretching it a little bit to say that he might have had water in there that they didn't choose to use for sprinkling. But you come here to John, to Matthew chapter 3, there is no doubt the kind of baptism they're doing is completely submerging Jesus under the water. Now, if you're going to get one right, you know it's going to be Jesus' baptism. Right? There is, this one is the model. This one is the one all the others should be modeled after. And... We can see submersion baptism in the Bible. You cannot show me one place in the Bible where somebody was ever baptized by sprinkling or by pouring. It's not in the Bible. That is why we believe what we believe about baptism concerning the church.